It really is good to be together. And um, as we share together, it absolutely reflects the sense of togetherness that God wants to bring into the Church of Jesus Christ. Uh, as Steve was reminding us, um, <clears throat> one of the things that the Word of God encur- encourages in is that whole sense of, of being together. Um, if you're here for the first time in Arena, we give you a particularly warm welcome. And just to say that after the service, don't feel that you've got to dash off. Um, but uh, because there's refreshments being served downstairs, I'll just move this out of the way, otherwise I'm going to fall over it. Um, the, and uh, so there's refreshments downstairs, and uh, we actually have got a, 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 a special area. So please just introduce yourself, uh, chat to one or two of the folks that are down there. You're very welcome. And of course, everybody's welcome to stay afterwards uh, for teas, coffees, and refreshments. Um, this morning, we're coming to the final part of this uh, particular series that we've been running in this very, very cold spring uh, that we've been experiencing over the last few days, just talking to one or two folks that were away last week, holidaying and just sort of coming across really, really cold temperatures. That wind's dropped a little bit, so hopefully uh, the trees will begin and flowers will begin to bud a little bit and it'll feel a little bit more like uh, normal. But um, in a moment or two, I just want to take us to a couple of scriptures and uh, just encourage our hearts this morning from the Word to continue to make our stand in all that God's uh, called us uh, to do. Uh, but just a, a little reminder first off, because um, this particular series has been interjected by a couple of special Sundays. One, we uh, remembered and celebrated Mothering Sunday, which was a, a great morning. And then, of course, last week was our Easter weekend, not only here, but right across the world. And it was just very, for me, very uh, uh, encouraging to just read of great things that were taking place literally around the world as uh, Christians celebrated the death and resurrection of the Lord. And, and I think increasingly in arena we're getting it that actually we need Friday to make Sunday real. And, um, and thanks for all those people that engaged in the weekend so well. Um, because to get to a resurrection, we need to come through a cross. And uh, it's the same within our lives, friends. If we're going to incre- in, 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 enjoy resurrection life, then we must know what it is to give ourselves wholly to Jesus as we've been singing in the songs this morning. Um, But we really started this uh, particular series sort of rooted in Ephesians 6, which I'll go to right at the end to remind us. But Ephesians 6 is talking to the Christian church uh, about being engaged in, in the spiritual conflict and warfare. And of course, as we said at the beginning of that, there can be imbalance. We can deny it and so say, well, no, that never happens. Or we can overemphasize it and sort of basically see the enemy in everything. Here's the truth that right in the middle of that is the reality of the fact that as Christians, as Christian believers, as a Christian church, there are times when we walk into opposition. There is an invisible spiritual kingdom of darkness that seeks to oppose the kingdom of light and that seeks to stop the people of God pressing into all that God's destined them to be. We need to be aware of that. And within that context, God through his word says on four occasions that I want you to make your stand. The word in the original language of the New Testament was histamine, and it literally means to abide or to remain, to continue, to establish, to set. He's not standing around in a loitering sort of way. He's talking about being alert and attentive, being on our guard, if you like, being ready for all that God has got for us. And over these weeks, uh, Christian opened up this series by just giving us a Uh, Just a sense of all that God was talking to us about, stand. Josh reminded us that we're to stand firm. Uh, I took the thought of standing still, which is not about inertia and inactivity, but it's coming afresh to all that God is, seeing his greatness over our lives, taking those moments to receive it and then to move into what he's got. And a couple of weeks ago, Paul reminded us that we're to stand together. 
And he used his professional background and experience to, to tell us of the principle of trudging and wedging. It was powerful. It reminded us of the, of the great strength when church dwells together in unity. It brings a protectiveness one to another. And it causes us to take steps forward, even sometimes when things seem to be all against us. We should never underestimate the power and the strength of standing together. And this morning, for the last uh, part of this series, I just want to mention briefly about not only standing firm, not only standing still, not only standing together, but actually standing out. Standing out. I want to read two passages of scripture for you. They'll be on the screen, uh, but from Acts chapter 27 and verse 21. I'm just going to allude to this, but I think this is a great example of standing out. And uh, the context is that the Apostle Paul is trying to find his way to Rome. He's on a ship. The ship hits a storm. Everybody fears for the loss of life. And the Apostle Paul said these words, verse 21. After they had gone a long time without food, like it's everybody grizzly, doesn't it? Unless you're intentional about fasting. But in the general sense of the word, we don't like going without food. So you can imagine what the crew were like and the people. Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. If you read it back, that's exactly what he said. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep your courage. Because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel to whom I belong and to whom I serve came beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep your courage, men, for I have faith that God, in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on this island. I love that last little bit because the ship, the ship was going to get broke, but the people weren't. Here's somebody that stood out in a storm. I'll come to the next passage in a moment, which is the one that I want to particularly look at. But here's the truth, friends. In the world in which we live, there are many storms that rage. I'm not talking about literal storms, of course. Now I'm talking about storms that rage in people's lives. And you will have, you will have context within your world where people uh, face storms. And sometimes, like a storm is, it's unexpected, it's inexplicable, and it's unexplainable. But it comes to people's lives. And here's what God wants from the Christian church. He wants the Christian church in those particular contexts to stand out. And you will notice that what Paul said was not by speculation, but it was by revelation. And God doesn't want us merely to be speculating about what we think about certain things, but he wants us to carry a word from God that changes a situation. How do you get a word from God? By simply living close to God. You see, as I've said before from this pulpit, I'm a little bit... Irritated on occasions when some people have hijacked the word revelation for them, but don't think that anybody else can have it. But revelation is simply an unveiling of God's purposes in our lives. He wants to be known. He wants to reveal himself. He wants to declare his promises. He wants to speak. And here's the truth. In your particular context, in your particular situation, God can sow something into your life that brings a word to the storm where people know that you've not just dreamt it up, but it is as God has spoken, and it brings a complete change to the situation. These people were frightened, they were fearful, they thought they were going to die, and when Paul had finished, they realized that they weren't, that they were safe, and therefore they could take courage. And I really want to encourage you to believe for that in your world. 
Now, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, that are very familiar verses to many of us. Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. This is Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. And just for the context, the Sermon on the Mount is what we know as Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The people were oppressed by uh, the Roman rule. They'd been burdened by many rules and regulations. They were desperate for someone to come and liberate them. And they were looking for someone, but for someone to do something that God had not intended to happen. In other words, they were looking for Jesus to be a political agitator. For someone that would turn over the tables of Roman rule and give them a new sort of way of doing things in terms of a normal real world. But he didn't come to bring that sort of kingdom. He came to bring a spiritual kingdom. He, he came to completely redefine the way that people live. And of course, the way that we can do that is not in our own strength, but simply in the power of Jesus. And so on many occasions in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you've heard it said, but I say to you. He didn't lower the bar, he raised the bar. He didn't sort of go more gently with people, he spoke more strongly to them. He didn't dilute the message, he deepened the message. And these amazing words, friends, have impacted millions and millions of people over 2,000 years because this is living out the kingdom of God in people's lives. And here in Matthew 5, 13, he says, you, talking about the people, you are the salt of the earth. <clears throat> for, it is, for if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world, a town or a city built on a hill that cannot be hid. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds or good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I want to encourage us this morning to stand out. This message is not defined by a church service. It's not defined by us simply doing what we would call Christian things together this is something that defines our life every day. This is something, friends, that we can take into the school when the school term starts again after Easter. This is something that we can take to the factory. This is something that we can take to the hospital. This is something, friends, that we can take to every environment of our life, that we would stand out and simply let God shake us and shine us to be salt and light for his glory and for his praise. And in our society, friends... <clears throat> They're so desperate for some clarity in terms of how to live. This is an amazing call that sits over every one of our lives. That unashamedly we'd live a different lifestyle out of the call of God to us. And that we'd know a distinguishable message that's rooted in the power of the cross. As someone says, it's the difference that makes the difference. Now I can sense that there are even people around the room today, and this is a particular challenge to perhaps young people, particularly feel sometimes the pressure of, of peer groups, of saying, well, I don't want to stand out. I want to be part of the crowds. You know, I, I, I want to be like everybody else. Well, when we've taught this message, perhaps sometimes in certain contexts in the past, we've taught it like to stand out means you've got to be weird. No, we're not saying that. Or somehow you've got to be odd. We're simply saying that in your world, God's called you to make a difference. And here's the truth. That if you will put Jesus first in your lives, that you, if you will make him at the very center of all that you do, you will inevitably be salty. 
and you will inevitably shine and therefore make a difference in people's lives. It goes something like this. You have a conversation with somebody at work and uh, you don't think anything about it. You've never mentioned the Bible. You've never mentioned Jesus. This, people, this person has just come to work in your department and you've simply been you. You've never mentioned the fact that you're a Christian. But that particular week, that particular person goes home and her husband says to her over tea, so how's it going at work? Yeah, yeah, it's going great. There's a really nice person in my department that's made me really welcome into the department. I feel really, it's you. You don't even know it's happening. But you've been light and you've been salt into someone's context and situation that they felt. That they felt. And here's the truth, friends. As much as sometimes we recall from standing out, God, in the right sense of the word, wants us unashamedly and unabashedly to stand out for him. Let me briefly talk about these two pictures, particularly that Jesus mentions this morning. Firstly, salt. You are the salt of the earth. You think, oh, well, big deal, you know. Salt. But in ancient times, salt was highly valued and priced. In fact, many people in ancient times put it on a par with the sun. It was hewn from the earth's substances, and it was there to do a job. And of course, the metaphor holds good for us today. Standing out, being salty, means having an influence. Sometimes we think that we can only have an influence if we can preach. You say, oh, it's all right for you saying that. You are preaching. I understand that. But what I'm trying to communicate this morning, friends, is this is not the sole context for influence. In fact, on a Sunday morning, my privilege is to inspire you so that you might be preachers through the week. So, well, I've got a pulpit. I've never opened a Bible. But there's a sense in Romans where it says, how shall people hear unless people preach? That it's simply talking about people that would declare in all sorts of ways the message. The message. You are the salt of the earth. What does salt talk about? Well, salt talks about purity. Its whiteness makes that connection easy, easy, easy. The Romans said that salt was the purest of all things. And here's the truth. We live in an impure world. And there'll be lots of people around this congregation of people this morning that'll have to navigate this week impure things. It simply means living in a real world. But God says that in the midst of all that, he's called us to live pure. I don't have time to develop it this morning, but the Bible talks in the New Testament about a pure conscience, 2 Timothy 1.3. It talks about pure religion, James 1.27. It's the only time in the New Testament where the word religion is mentioned in a positive way. Most of the time, Jesus just goes straight for it in terms of religious people. But at the end of Romans 1.27, when it talks about the church looking after orphans and widows in need, he says this is pure religion and undefiled. Great message there on religious Christianity. And then it talks in James chapter 3 about pure wisdom. And wisdom, friends, is not just about, well, yeah, I mean, I... Probably pointing to me saying, well, he ought to have a bit, of, a bit of wisdom now. I mean, look how old he is, you see. It's not just about old people. Here's, our young people across Arena Church can live with incredible wisdom. The wise ways of God. That influence other people to say, you don't have to make some of those crazy mistakes because there's a better way. A few months ago, I was in the context listening to one of the guys that's part of the area leadership team of 
of uh, what we're involved in in terms of assignments of God. And uh, he, he, meant, he, meant, he was just sharing a little of his story. And he made this statement that impacted me so powerfully. He talked about the fact that he became a Christian at 20. And before he became a Christian, he did many things that he wasn't pleased about. And uh, many things that, um, that uh, he, needed, he just sensed he needed to be forgiven, forgiven for. And he said, on the night I became a Christian, he says, God restored. Here's the truth. God restored purity to my heart. Very powerful. And you may be saying to me this morning, Phil, there's so many things in my life that have been impure. So many things that I'm not pleased about. So many things I've said. So many things I've done. So many contexts I've got involved in. They've not been white. They've been dark. And God says today that if you will give yourself afresh to him, supernaturally, I use the word deliberately, he can restore the purity of your heart. It's amazing. It's something of what Steve was saying earlier about the power of coming together in community to share communion. Because the, the danger is that it is just another service. But the grace that can be transmitted to us through the finished work of Jesus on the cross can change us forever. And then what about preservation? Because, of course, salt was used as a preservative historically for many years. You know, believe it or not, there was a time when people didn't have refrigerators. I know it's hard to believe. But it's a really... Pretty modern invention. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> my old grandma used to have the pantry. You know, can you remember the old pantry? You know, with the, with the, the air brick coming through. And, and uh, it, there were all sorts of things that went in there. It was, it was like an Aladdin's cave of food. You know, there was, there was all sorts of things that lasted a long time. And salt was used historically to bring preservation to things, to stop things being corrupted. Amazing. And here's the truth, friends, that Arena Church can have an impact upon its community to draw back on the corruptive influences that seek to take place simply by being salt. And then thirdly, salt talks about presence. How many of you guys have had your food? There's no salt in it. There's no salt. There's no salt. Actually, we stopped having salt in, we we sort of realized that we didn't miss it. So we, we didn't, but some of you like, I get fascinated. You must go, go and have a meal with somebody. People's different eating habits, you know. The old tomato ketchup sort of goes on. And then somebody will get the salt. <clears throat> the only thing I like salt on particularly is tomatoes. I love it. Sorry, all the health experts in the room. Please forgive me for a most. It's one of a few vices, you know. But I love the tomatoes with salt. Mwah, lovely. But there's no salt in it. The Bible says in Colossians 4 and verse 6, let your conversation be seasoned with salt. I wonder if with the way that we talk sometimes, people say there was no salt in that. There was no salt in it. It was harsh. It was bitter. It, it jarred on us. But when you come across people that talk to you and salt's in the conversation, it's beautiful. It's just beautiful. Just makes a difference in people's lives. I'll mention no names, friends, but occasionally in Arena Church, we get people that work for us for a time via sort of Christine and, and, and uh, through the agencies in the town. I'll mention no names, but there was, a, there was somebody that's worked for us fairly recently. He says, This place is different because every other work context I've lived, it worked in, people are backbiting. They're stabbing each other in the back. They're putting down. It doesn't happen here. Why? 
Because, friends, we try to have our conversation and our behavior seasoned with salt. Felt the influence of him. And so keep your saltiness. Because Mark chapter 9 verse 50 says that if we lose our saltiness, it's good for nothing but to be trodden underfoot. And here's one of the truths, friends. One of the reasons that we ought to come to the house of God on a regular basis, one of the reasons we ought to commit our Sunday mornings with a passion to being together is that it maintains our saltiness. It keeps us salty. It sends us another week to be shaken into that needy world where you bring influence, where you sow purity, where you bring preservation to people's lives, where your presence makes a difference for the glory of God and for the extension of your kingdom. And some of you say, me? Yeah, you. You are the salt of the earth. Friends, if it's all down to me or all down to Christian, we're not going to get very far. But the reality is I love it when I think, I literally think this picture, I imagine this picture. It's, 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 it's this, it's in on a Sunday, out during the week. In on a Sunday, out during the week. I think about all sorts of context that we've got around the room this morning. All sorts of situations. And it does my heart, God, to realize that people are being salty in those situations. You see, salty, standing out, it's not about you being weird at school. It's about simply you being you. And when you're you with Jesus at the center of you, you will inevitably make a difference with other people. And do you know what? In their quieter moments when the crowd's gone, they'll come looking for you. They'll come looking for you. You're the salt of the earth, but also you're the light of the world. I want you to use your imagination for a moment and think about one or two contexts that you found yourself in that have been really black. Maybe some of you were down the pit. And, the, you know, the, whatever the lights were down there, they, they went off. Uh, maybe, you, maybe you've been potholing in Derbyshire, you know. It gets a bit black down in the sort of depths of the ca- caverns, doesn't it? And uh, I was thinking about this, and I'll give you a couple of my own experiences. So let me take you back to around about this time in 1992. First time I ever went to Romania. I went there the long way. I went on a lorry. Uh, with uh, good friends of mine from Yorkshire. And at that particular time, in that particular context, the nation's changed usually over the last 20 years. To actually take humanitarian aid out was, was essential, was, was just so warmly greeted by the people. We went up into the, uh, into the uh, Carpathian Mountains to a, a place called Petesti de Sus. It's near Moldova, and you all know where, well, some of you know where Moldova is now, if you watched the football the other week. It's on the border of Romania. And... Uh, <clears throat> No, no sort of uh, running water, no electricity, the well in the village, that was the whole thing, that was the, the culture. We went up there and delivered all of this uh, humanitarian aid, an amazing experience. But on the Thursday night that we arrived in um, Romania, having travelled through France and Belgium and Germany and Austria and Hungary, we got to the, we got to the, uh, the, the place where they'd let us in. And in typical sort of uh, uh, ways of that particular time, the... Uh, the barrier was broken down, so the guy had to sort of, you know, it didn't sort of just go like that. And we drove into Romania, and the only way I can describe it is, friends, it was like driving into a black hole. There were no cat's eyes. There were no lights overhead. It was just pitch black. Pitch black. There were three of us in the cab, and there were three of us driving, even though only one had the wheel, uh, because we needed six eyes. It was pitch black. It was a bit scary. And then let me take you to uh, an autumn half term a couple of years ago. Um, 
I, I was seeing somebody in Matlock and Sharon was working and the arrangement was, I thought, it'd be great, great just to get a walk in. So I, I went to see my friend. I finished there about sort of lunchtime. And the idea was I'd go to Yulgrieve, uh, up the Lathkill Dale, sort of around the corner and back again, and then pick Sharon up in time. But it went wrong. It went wrong. And uh, I missed the turn and sort of ended up in Overhaddon as, uh, as, uh, as uh, dusk was coming. And I said to this guy, mate, how long is it to your grief? He says, oh, mate, it's seven miles up there. Yeah. I said, seven miles, yeah. And uh, I've, I've been going for a long time already. I must have done 10 miles already. And sure enough, about half a mile later, it confirmed your grief, seven miles. Oh, so... He was getting darker and darker. I'm a grown man, so you're going to have to just live with me for a minute. But I got scared because the thing was, typically at that particular time, my mobile was nearly on log. So I began to trudge this huge hill out of overhand. If any of you ever done it, it just goes on and on. I said to Sharon as I got to the top of the hill, I've gone wrong. I said, I'm going to be late. I said, you know, look at the time. And I said, it's getting dark. I said, the mobile's nearly... And he said, gone. You know. So she sort of got a garbled message. And then it got dark. And it got really dark. You know what? I thought I was never going to get to your grief. I thought I was going to disappear into nothingness and never be seen again. You know, there was this overwhelming blackness that came over Derbyshire until, with weary legs, eventually I saw a little lamp and it was your grief beckoning. Oh, was I so pleased to get back to that car? Blackness, darkness. And the Bible says in John 3.19 that men love darkness rather than light. And I'll say only this, friends. We've seen a horrific example of that just down the road this week in Derby. And the consequences of darkness. God bless those little girls. Why do I say all that? Because, friends, it's dark out there. So it doesn't look like it. No, I mean spiritually. It's dark out there. And Jesus says that you are the light of the world. What does light do? Well, it brings illumination. <clears throat> used to sing that song years ago. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And many of you know that when it seems incredibly dark, it only takes a little light to make a difference. And God's using little people with seemingly little lights all over the world to penetrate the darkness. When I was recently in Uganda, I met two people that are what you call little people. They were actually little in stature as well. But after a breathtaking Sunday, four churches, 9.30 till 6.30, we only had time for a biscuit and a bottle of water. We just went through it. We got back and Gavin and Glenda says, of course we're going out for a meal tonight. Oh, no. Okay, you know, so I showered and got ready. And friends, I was so blessed to have this meal at this particular pastor's house. And uh, Gavin says to me, oh, we've got these two ladies coming tonight. He says, one of them's going to minister in the school tomorrow. She's got a prophetic ministry. And the sad thing for it was, friends, and I had to check my heart. Immediately you mentioned that, I thought, oh, what we got here. Because sometimes, friends, prophetic ministry's not done itself any good. But we believe in prophetic ministry. We believe in the prophetic word to the church. And friends, I didn't just meet two little people that night. I met two angels, Roberta and Val. Both in their early 60s, 
both small of stature, both that have sown significant years into the nation of Uganda simply to shine in the darkness. It was amazing. Val told us about how that 15 years ago, her and her husband found a call with some naivety to leave the UK. They arrived with £1,000 and a suitcase. And now this little lady that nobody knows about has established schools in northern Uganda, has established refuge homes for young, young ladies that are in uh, physical harm, has ministered to people in extraordinary brokenness. And two years ago, her husband dropped dead with a heart attack. She says, the great sadness was I didn't really have time to say bye to him thank, uh, properly. She says, I went on for three months and thought that was it. But something just pulled me back to Uganda. A widowed lady serving the Lord. And then Roberta, just a wonderful, submissive, beautiful, prophetic gift. And uh, at the end of that evening... <clears throat> In terms of my journey, she just came right across to me and says, Phil, do you mind if I just share this? Here we go. And she just showed something right into my life, never met me before, right into my life, right to fuel my journey in this particular time. You see, friends, you don't have to have a big name. In fact, I think God's recoiled by big names at times. He's looking for little people. He's looking for people that nobody else knows about to sow into their dark worlds and make a difference. And here's the truth. You can do it. You can do it. You can illuminate people's lives. Light brings imposition. See, it shines whether we like it or not. And the other picture that we get in Matthew 5 is not only salt and and light, but also that we would be a city on a hill that cannot be hid. Three weeks ago, we held our area conference on a Saturday in March. I'm glad it wasn't the week after because we'd have had to cancel it because of the snow. But Mal Fletcher... An Australian that resides in the UK now was our keynote speaker. Just an amazing day. Miles, an amazing gift to the church. Uh, a great insight into what God is doing and what God will do. But you know, for me, the standout sentence of the day was probably in the first 30 minutes when he says, you know, we're called to be a city on a hill that cannot be hid. And then he began to explain what he thought about that. And it was this, that he says... Going back to Steve this morning, encouraging us about community. That if we, as the city, the church, because it's not, I know we live in a town, but talking about the community. If we, as a city, will live in the way that God has encouraged us to live, then the city will come to the church and say, actually, that's how we'd like to live also. You see, that is the many varied colors of God's wisdom through the church, Ephesians 3, rolling out to make an impact in the world. I want to tell you, friends, that some of that's taking place even in this town, where people are having significant conversations, particularly with Christians, some of the community team, saying, how are you doing this? How does it work? How does that impact others? In other words, the city on a hill that cannot be hid begins to influence the city to make a difference for the glory of God and for the praise of his name. And light brings industry. You see, because it goes on to say there, in the same way, let your light shine, verse 16, before others, that they may see your good deeds or good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Interesting to know, I never realized it until this week, that Revelation 2 and 3, the seven churches of Revelation, the first thing that Jesus says to every one of them, whether he got something nice to say or something corrective to say, is, I know your works. And you say, well, we're into grace, aren't we? We're absolutely into grace, friends. But Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says that after it's already told us that by grace we are saved, not by works lest anyone should boast, it goes on to say, for you were created unto good works. 
And that word there literally in the original language talks about being God's masterpiece. You specially made, specially crafted to bring about good works for the glory of God and for the praise of his name. And when you do those good works, as I read in Matthew 5, not only do you bring praise to the Lord, but people that aren't yet believers bring praise to the Lord also, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What will they see, friends, in our works? Well, someone said these words. They'll observe your courtesy. They'll detect your smile. They'll, they'll note that you said thank you. They'll hear your apology. They'll, they'll, they'll recognize that you help when they were struggling. That's what light does. It's a manifest, manifestation of the Christ life into a real world. <clears throat> in a few weeks' time, we come to Big Idea, and we thank the team, Leonie, Chris, and the team for all the work that they're putting into that. And I know that this, this is an especially intensive weekend where we really give, give ourselves to serving community. And I know that the team don't define it just by that weekend. But it's great that we can do that. The Bible says that if we, if, if, if we can't serve the community, sorry, not the Bible, but a Bible commentator said if we can't serve the community, then we're never going to win the community. And we've got this great opportunity to do works to sow into the local community for the glory of God and for the praise of his name. So let's stand, friends, in all that God's called us to do. Not, not, not physically yet. We'll come. I, 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 you know what? I died a thousand deaths because I realized what I'd done. And uh, it's coming. Let's stand. No, 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 no. Uh, And let me read Ephesians 6 where we all started this some time ago. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, in the light of all that, Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. We understand, friends, that there are things that come to our lives at times that try and shake us, that try and knock us, that try and push us back, that try and discourage us. But God's calling for a people, and he's calling for a people out of Arena Church community in these days to unashamedly say, we're going to stand. We're going to stand firm. We're going to stand still. We're going to stand together. And we're going to stand out. Not because we're odd or strange, but because we're salt and light. We're going to go to our world on a Monday morning and make a difference. Not because we're getting all intense about it or trying too hard. Or when can I get a word in about Jesus? But by simply being you. And when you are you, you will inevitably shake something into people's lives that brings purity, that brings a preservation, that brings an influence. You will inevitably, even as a little person with a little light, shine into the dark world to illuminate it, to impose something upon it of the kingdom of God. And they'll see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
Someone defined influence as the act or power of producing an effect without apparent exertion, force, or direct command. That's it. That's it. And out of that, friends, there'll be people that come to us and say, so can you tell me a bit more about this Jesus? There you go. And 1 Peter 3.15 says that when they ask us a reason for the hope that we within us, then we share it with gentleness and respect as we draw people to the Lord. <clears throat> the power, friends, of salt and light. I read this little quote some time ago, 1848, Sir John Getty, a Christian missionary and doctor, medical doctor, felt the call of God to go to the South Sea Islands. <clears throat> and for the next 24 years, he sowed his life into those communities. Literally put his life on the line, friends. He didn't know what to expect. But he preached the gospel. He drew people to Jesus. He built churches. He created clinics. He ministered to people both in the physical and the spiritual. But when Dr. John Getty left the South Sea Islands, the people built a memorial stone, erected in honor of his work. And it said this, when Dr. Getty landed in 1848, there were no Christians. And when he left, there were no heathens. That's being salt. That's being light. And brothers and sisters, our world needs to change. Our world needs to receive the message of Jesus in a renewed way. Our dark world needs to be penetrated by little people. People that don't have a name, people that aren't even on a pulpit, but people that say, yeah, I get it. I'm going to stand for the Lord. I'm going to stand out for him. I'm going to stand for my God. And our world, this world, your world, needs us to stand unashamedly, to stand out. Remember, you can make a difference. We're going to stand. Thank you.